God of the universe, maker of the stars, who am I? And it is that time again. We are so thankful that you guys get to all come and join us for our episode 32 of the 30th day of the Counting of the Omer. We're excited for y'all to be here. Right. We're going to be talking about a lot of mm -hmm. cool things today because we've been lately on this uh, worship kick. And I think that it's really been uh, tugging at all of us. And we've been, we've had a lot to say about it from all the years we've observed yes, and we watched. <laughs> We really do hope you're enjoying it. And again, there's been some of you that have been sending stuff. We thank you again for uh, participating. And if you have any thoughts in regards to this, even if you've never picked up an instrument, we would love to hear from you. So again, on purpose at mail.com. But I have to do the most important thing. We got Mike. We got Daniel. We got Ryan here. And you got me, Dave. So we're going to have a great topic. And uh, what... What are we wanting to talk about today, guys? I know we were talking about worship, but what are we going to talk about today? Well, to, to put it into one word, emotion. Hmm. That should be fun. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we can go both sides of this thing. Uh, pendulum swing, too much emotion, not enough emotion, in the middle of motion. Which way are we going to go? I mean, Daniel, which way are we going to go? <laughs> All over the place that's where okay. we're gonna go <laughs> good deal just the classic human thing all back and forth back and forth we're gonna play both <laughs> sides here yeah the only time <laughs> that humans are in the middle of the road is when they're crossing from one ditch to another <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty much true oh man you know yeah. i you know i said that thing when i said to here before about even if you've never played an instrument you don't really know a lot about music i honestly i come from that side of the uh of that fence i didn't really know a lot back then and it wasn't until I met Ryan and got really acquainted with then Tony teaching me how to play bass that I really understood what music was. And I've said this a few times during our shows here. It feels like the, this latest kick of like worship and music has been just me and Ryan will have conversations on Friday night just about music and the, what the bigger ramifications. And I think that's kind of where we're going to go to a little bit today because I know, Ryan, we've had we've talked a lot about this whole the emotional side. And I think it's even said music is emotion. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Uh, think about if you watch a movie, imagine some of your favorite movies without background music, without a soundtrack. Because, mm. mm. I mean, it really sets the mood and the tone uh, for the scene. Um, I think a great example uh, would be like um, a well-known soundtrack as well. Schindler's List. Yeah. Uh, it's Sock Perlman on the violin. Uh, the title track of that in and of itself is a, just a phenomenal score. Um, but it also sets the tone and the emotion for the movie. Uh, so saying that, I don't think that emotion and music can be separated. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yeah, uh, no matter what. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and I was just going to add on to that. And I think that that is intended by the creator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. And one very interesting example that I remember very clearly, there was this uh, TV show called Brain Games uh, that was on quite a while ago. Um, and they just delved into all sorts of different subjects regarding the brain and how, how we perceive things, um, all, all just everything you can imagine with that. And one of them was about music and and the emotion that it can, can stir up in you. And so 
um, though I am, you know, intensely, emphatically, always will be, always have been against scary movies and like movies intended to evoke uh, fear. I mm-hmm. I absolutely hate those, and I'll have the conversation with anyone. Um, they did an interesting thing on that show where they showed kind of a a movie you would imagine from a scary scene, like darkened house, like kind of strange looking items. And they went through it once with a very ominous uh, music in the background, you know, exactly what you would imagine, you know, creepy violin, all this sorts of weird stuff. And then they played through it again with this like bubbly, dumb, like just kind of uh, something you would expect on a kid's show where there's just way too much stimulation that everyone is jumping up and down. And the experience was it was polar opposite. You're like, why would anyone ever be scared of this when you're hearing <laughs> that music? And that is how that right. is how powerful um, the the emotional um, response can be with music. Yes. Well, I, I'm kind of thinking about you know the uh, I I remember when Jaws came out, you mm-hmm. know, and that uh, that is is still mm-hmm. uh, as someone who used to surf years ago uh many many years ago <laughs> you know i've i've been out on off of jacksonville pier and uh looked out and it's like hey there's sharks uh then jaws came out and um you, know, you can imagine that show with uh that that moment in time and you got like twinkle twinkle little star in the background it, it just wouldn't quite have the effect no it wouldn't yeah it would not. yeah yeah it's true <laughs> so, so uh, um Good. Good. Uh, no, I was just no, I'm say, stepping out. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, if we actually go back, and, and I have a little bit of a background in this um, from studying music history, uh, along with music theory. Um, historically, music has taken an interesting path, um, hmm. as far as we understand it now. Now, I'm not going to speak to you know Eastern theory or any of those idea, but as far as uh, you know. Um, Western, if you will, or um, European classical uh, theory uh, and its history. Uh, If we go back to uh, the Baroque period uh, and then even into the classical period. So the the classical period would have been around uh, 1750 to around 1820. Uh, Actually, uh, the classical period ended into what we call the Romantic period. Uh, and it was kind of bridged by a very well-known composer, Ludwig van, yeah, Ludwig van Beethoven. Yes. Um, and because, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But before that, in the Baroque period, they were kind of trying to figure out what is kind of making music work. Uh, and so that you started to see all these, uh, and even I think pre-Baroque, you had the treatise by Jean-Philippe Orimeau, uh, who wrote a book called The Treatise on Harmony, which was basically the idea that you could put three notes together and they would work together to form a chord. Mm. Uh, So you have to think of kind of music's path through that where they started understanding, okay, this is like a single note melody that someone might sing and then, oh my goodness, well, these are harmonies and then now we can structure these, right? So then you start having a leaning towards structure, right? So everything was fit into these little boxes, these little pigeonholes of Mm -hmm. form, right? Uh, so that, that was really heavy in the classical period. So music was designed to be fit in these little boxes. So you might uh, have heard of a sonata or a concerto. Uh, those were things that basically were a file folder, if you will, or a format of how a song had to be written, right? And you would follow a certain 
uh, level of guidelines in theory that would be the framework of that particular piece. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just have one question for you, Ryan. Is there a test on this at the end of the program? There will be, <laughs> uh, and it goes for all of your grade. Okay, so so Ryan, what I'm hearing you say is that there were people who were trying to put music into th this little box kind of thing of it had to be here, here, and here. And as somebody that's not one that really understands music a lot, um, I, I see music as, as endless. You know, uh, right. I've, I've learned this from Barry Phillips, uh, you know, different rift on a guitar or something, or just, you know, you, you just start kind of start running with it. It's like, well, where did that come from? Um, right there. It, it's, it's, it's infinite. There is right. no end. Now, so what's is interesting that where, uh, is that where Beethoven came in. Yes, that's where Beethoven comes in. So that is what happened in and around that 1820 mark. Um, Beethoven sort of transitions from the idea of that I'm going to write a piece and I'm going to fit it in this framework of having to hit these key elements in theory to I'm going to write a piece based on how I feel and how it makes me feel. I'm going to actually express myself with this, um, which I, one might could argue that maybe he returned in, in a sense back to the Psalms. Uh, or the idea of the Psalms that I'm writing something based off of my surroundings or the circumstances that mm -hmm. I might be in. Mm -hmm. And it actually created in history, it created two camps of composers, ones that were vehemently opposed to the idea that music should be ruled by emotion or could be put in a framework of emotion. Mm -hmm. And then those in the camp of, of Beethoven who said that music was pure emotion and that emotion should formulate the pieces and that you could write essentially whatever uh, you wanted outside of a framework and let it be infinite. And you actually can read, there's some letters and so forth and writings that would appear at the time where they would literally attack, one camp would attack the other, uh, you know, just kind of standing uh, on whatever they deemed as, as right, if you will. So um, essentially not much has changed at all. That's so exactly. interesting to hear the history nope. behind that because you find that exact same thing today. You And I hope this is kind of what we're going to get into this week is uh, essentially going to talk about both of the abuses on both sides mm -hmm. of the too much emotion, the not enough emotion, and hopefully find our way somewhere in the middle. Um, right. But it's so interesting that that's the history because literally today, the arguments you hear of the abuses are, oh, they're just being emotionally manipulated and they're just experiencing, they're not experiencing God. They're just experiencing emotion. And then you have other people over here like, if there is no emotion, then how are you feeling anything? Um, and just, just to kind of lay some groundwork here, I think the reason we're talking about this is because we all, we try to incorporate and be conscious of God in our day-to-day -day lives. That's kind of one of the things we aim for is being more conscious of him in a day-to-day -day thing and a moment-to-moment. -moment. Um, but these times of, of worship, specifically with music, like we're talking about right now, or j let's just say um, times of just kind of sanctified, separated worship, whether it is with music or not, those times have to, they are less uh, common because we are 
people, we have busy lives, we have so much we have to do. So one of the things we want to do is try to structure our minds and our souls and spirits in such a way that that small amount of time that we do have with that intentional worship is effective. And that it is, even though it's not a big quantity, it is high quality. Mm. And one of the ways to do that is to figure out this emotion thing because it is integrated into worship. It is integrated into your relationship with God, whether you think it is or not, it is just part of it. And if we can identify some of the abuses that we may not even know we've been observing or thinking about and just kind of get over some of these blocks, then it will make our times of worship more effective and more high mm -hmm. quality. So that's kind of, I think, why we're talking mm -hmm. about this right now. If I'm, I kind of want to jump off what you're saying there, Dan, because I think that a lot of times I, I hear, we, I, I think if you're ever in music and, do, and around this fear, especially around worship, a lot of people like to run with some theories on what that means, whether they're being manipulated or whether this emotion like we're talking about, we're about to get into. And I think that with this, I would like to, uh, they come from a place like not even understand. Like we just went through kind of to explain to y'all the history of what music did in a very basic way. And there's, there's even more complexity and detail to that, but what music did even to start off with, we're having the same exact arguments today. Like we're realizing and to realize in your every day, you're being bombarded with music. If you think about it, when you go out to town, when you go into a place, there's always some sort of something playing. Mm -hmm. They realize that music, they, I mean, store owners, businesses have realized music does wonders for, and it helps with sales. So we now are inundated here in America with music constantly, constantly every day. So then we come to a time where we get to either have live or just come sit down and listen to music. And it sometimes it's back, but remember back then that wasn't even a thing Like that was a privilege to be able to hear somebody mm. who was gifted at, at a piece of, at a piece of an instrument or a song or something. Now today it's just, Oh, it's on my phone. I could literally just play something yeah. absolutely gorgeous yeah. and beautiful off my phone. So we have to understand that, we have to appreciate that we are being inundated with this stuff. So then when we come to a worship service, sometimes we might have some theories or maybe like you said, Daniel, we're maybe in a place that now we're somewhere where they can, okay, maybe this isn't for me or something is off with me with this. So I think that there's something we have to also recognize that. Let me, let me take a different, a little different uh, off, of, off of what all you guys are saying. Let me take a little different turn here. So let's say that you invite me to your house mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we're, we're going to have dinner and, and, um, you, you say, Hey, let's, you know, let's put some, some music on, mm -hmm. um, as a host, are you going to put the music on that you like, or are you going to look at me and say, what would you like to hear? That, yeah. The ladder. Yeah, okay. the ladder. Exactly. Yeah. If you're a good host, you're going to do that. Okay. So let, let's put that into our worship setting. And and I'm I'm thinking this is probably going to be more than one program, by the way. Um <laughs> when's the last time we ask the the you know, if if the father is our guest, it, it, you know, uh Daniel quoted this last Shabbat, uh, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. 
So what are we doing? In our services, we are asking him to be our visitor. And then we're telling him what he needs to listen to. Mm -hmm. Let's give an example. Let's give an example. Between Daniel's house and my house, if you were to drive up Bryson City Highway from my house, you'd pass a, uh, a church. And uh, on that church sign, this is not judgmental against anybody. It just this is just my, my point here. Uh, on, on that sign, it says, uh, at such and such a time, traditional service. And then another time, contemporary service. Okay? So what are you going to show up for? You're going to show up for the music that you like. Having never asked, what does he want to hear? See, maybe the foundation here is something we need to look at. What is it that he wants to hear? And, you know, there's this, this battle right now going on, well, it's been going on for years. I mean, I remember growing up in a Baptist church with the hymnal, and then I went to a, uh, uh, a more, uh, you know, a different denomination, a little bit more exuberant. And, and you know, then we started singing off the wall. Yeah, uh, that's where the words were. And, uh, you know, then we kind of put all of that to the side and now we're moving in these other di different directions. But has anybody, you know, if, if I walk into a service and they're singing a hymn, but, but, but I'm in a charismatic setting or, or I'm in a Hebrew root setting and, and how dare they not be playing something that's this kind of, you know, Jewish in, in nature and, and instead of stopping and asking, Father, what is it you're wanting to hear today? Mm -hmm. I think that's most important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have heard it said uh, and have been accused of um, emotional manipulation with music, mm -hmm. which is a strong term to use. Uh, and I think it's a term that should not be used lightly. Yeah. Uh, and I think first that we need to actually break that down as to what it is because we've established at least in my opinion that music and emotion are essentially one and the same uh and to give an example of this back to history uh i think everybody is familiar with the, the um hallelujah chorus by handle yeah. hallelujah all right i think most would admit that when you go and you hear that played by a symphony with a choir and you get to that particular part, it's a very emotional part of the, the song. It mm -hmm. will pretty much bring an entire room to its feet. Um, it's quite overwhelming. That fit within the framework. People that don't know what the word means. Okay. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and all that done within the framework of rigid form because of the time period that it was written in, as we have established. So all that to say, when you accuse someone, if you will, of emotional manipulation with worship, I would deem it the same as if uh, we go to scripture and we see the man who formed the menorah, who got gifted the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. Somebody coming to him and saying, you didn't make the menorah, you merely manipulated metal. Ooh. So the question is, either way, something is being manipulated, to use that word. Something is being changed. It's being altered. Mm -hmm. So the question needs to be asked, how and why is it being altered? 
and by whom? What is the intent of its altering? Mm -hmm. And therein lies the answer of, yes, we must be careful who we listen to and what we listen to, because in and of itself, music is designed to alter your emotions. Mm -hmm. Just like you spoke about, Daniel, with that, uh, the Brain Games show. Mm -hmm. I think the creator intended it that way. So we, we must be yeah. careful, especially as worship leaders, we must be careful with what we play and how we play it. And most importantly, back to Mike's point, why are we doing it? Yeah. And is the Father desiring us to do that today? And so therein, are, as an audience member, you have to ask yourself, do you trust those that are worshiping or leading you in worship to mm -hmm. manipulate, if you will, I, I don't like that word, but manipulate those emotions mm -hmm. correctly because they are hearing from the Father, this is what I want. This is the spirit that I want in the room today. Mm -hmm. Those That's emotions good. that from music that happens can elicit certain things. So as harsh as manipulation is, in a way, okay. I think that, so if you, someone accuses you of that, like you said, Ryan, like, someone accuses, they say, okay, this is emotional manipulation. You go, okay, to what end? What is the end? What are you, what are you assuming that I'm doing? Because mm -hmm. since we've already established music, emotion, pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. There is a, you are manipulating as like a craftsman, but you're, what is its end goal? What are you trying to do? Especially so then you place yourself as the worship leader or as the leader conducting as you're going through this worship set, if you will, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? I think then we've established from previous episodes, if it's anything other than not serving the God, the father, that one that's in the room, you're doing it wrong. Because if you're only playing into, and of course we can argue about that, please. I would love to hear a debate on that as well. But if, because if we're not, because it's us worshiping and then the audience follows when what we are doing and we've seen that many many times and i know how many times we do a set list this is what we're going to do and we always get that from what's your set list what are you going to play and it's like this is what we're going to do but i can't guarantee that that's how it's going to be i'm sorry yeah. because yeah, what happens when the father goes yeah that's a nice set list but this is what i wanted to hear yeah, what happens is that I'm sitting there trying well, to figure out like, what, yep. uh, where Daniel had that on his phone to put it back up on the, sh and that was what happened on this past Shabbat. It's like Daniel is not there, and I can't remember how to go back to the. Uh, yeah, yeah. He started <laughs> at the end of his playlist um, instead of the front. Yeah, you know, happens. Um, I think the the biggest situation that people like to uh, draw from with in context of emotional manipulation is uh youth and young adults during worship specifically at a summer camp let's say oh, yeah. um because they're gonna they're gonna point to the fact that you know these kids are saying the worship was amazing i mean everybody was just in tears and on their face and all this stuff and the accusation gets brought well i mean you just felt emotion and you cried and then you came back and returned to your life and nothing really changed and I mean, that is the the biggest load of stuff that I, I hate that because let me let me let me put it to you this way in a little story. 
um, the guy that did uh, mine and Catesby's premarital counseling, excellent, wonderful friend of mine, um, yeah. just an amazing guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a youth pastor uh, for a long time, and then now he is uh, kind of heading up a local prayer room here, and he struggled with this with this same kind of thing because he would he would be invested in these kids lives and he would know what's going, he would ask them questions. He would really, really take this seriously. And so he knew this person walking in, they were not where they should have been just a little while ago. And yet they came in and they worshiped and from all appearances, they were really worshiping and they were really feeling Ooh, if I, if I can even use that word, they were feeling the, the presence of God. And he was struggling inside of himself, like, Father, what, I mean, why, why are they experiencing this? Why are, what do I do with this? And what he felt the father say to him was, don't you dare try to take away my time with my children. Hmm. Because that might be the only moments that those kids do have encountering the father, because let's face it, it more and more, the youth and the teenagers and young adults are having a hard time in the culture we live in because every single aspect of life is against them and trying to confuse them and throw them into chaos. Yeah. And so do they go to a camp and experience God in an emotional way and then go back out and then struggle with life again? Duh. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course they do. That's part of life. You go yeah. through these cycles and you struggle with things. And so to point to the emotion specifically and say they just experienced emotion. They didn't actually feel God. That is just the most ridiculous thing. Mm. I yeah, I can't stand that. And I think that is probably one of the biggest examples that is used yeah. because their argument is, well, where's the fruit of it? Where's the fruit of it? And you know what? Sometimes you don't see fruit for ten years or twenty years or so. And so it's it's just not for us to look at that moment and judge what is really going on inside their heart. Let, let me come to the, let me come to the defense of of youth, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm I hope I'm fairly known for. Um, you know, you go to a youth camp, and you feel the these you you you're in that emotional place, and you guys know as well as I do that the reason that we do not have parents in the room is not because we're trying to t- to tell their their children things that you know we're we're not trying to keep secrets and you know behind their back no we're, we're not the school system um we won't want to manipulate them would we, we, we yeah we're not trying to do that <laughs> we're trying to give them a place that they can be free and we're trying to to bring that in and and parents i it, it doesn't matter um really you know how great you are it, there's something that happens when you walk into the room um you know it, it yeah. your your child just reacts different okay it, it's not personal mm-hmm. they just react yeah. different um you know daniel and i've had to work this out between the two of us mm-hmm. you know it's just that yeah. that family relationship has different dynamics so you know we see the this this freedom in with our youth with our young adults in, in worship and they come out of that place that that camp or whatever it is or revive or wherever uh a, a youth meeting that, that we've done together and they're you know on fire for worship and praise and and changing their life 
And the first thing that happens is somebody throws a wet blanket on it. So maybe the problem is not the over-emotionalizing of the, of the youth, young adult, or adult service, doesn't matter. Um, maybe it's not the over-emotionalizing, it's that the world seeks to put that wet blanket on it. And, mm. um, you know, as, as parents, we need to make sure that we're not the wet blanket. That, that's done um, yeah, pretty absolutely. bad. I find that most infuriating when that happens. Uh, to me, that's yeah. the equivalent of, you know, seeing somebody give a gift to somebody, someone else and going up to them you know, and, and that gift being given out of love and then going up to that person saying, they only gave you that gift to manipulate you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you're, you're robbing everything from that situation. All the good that was done there, you're attempting to rob. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely be careful saying that. And I just want to I just want to point out real quick that God does not frown upon emotion. And we've talked about this before how if you read the Psalms and you think that David was not emotional, yeah, then you need to reread them because <laughs> he is he is about as raw and bare and naked before the Lord as anybody could possibly be and the Psalms were music. Yeah. And so, and, and, and yet he was called the man after God's own heart because I think, and I think those things, two things are absolutely related. They are one and the same. He was a man after God's heart because he was so raw and emotional. And, and remember this, then David, I'll throw it over to you mm -hmm. that when David came back from dancing before the ark, it was his wife who was the wet blanket and who ended up becoming oh. barren. That's exactly right. David? Yeah. This, yeah, this is the, uh, I like what Ryan said, uh, infuriating uh, is something I think is the right word. This, would, at first going, being a part of Exodus Road Band, it's like, oh, wow, cool, you're part of a band, and you start seeing things, and you think that, oh, this is how things go you realize very quickly that not one place is the same. People react differently. Oh. We've had people be just, we thought we weren't doing a thing. And then afterwards, a just roar of just like, just people like, it was just like, just totally like, okay, I didn't expect this reaction yeah. or just the breakout that happened. Just, it was like, how did that work? And I, that's what I wanted to, Daniel hit on something that really like, that's, that's what gets me a lot is because I used to be that way of, well, if I don't see a result immediately, it wasn't for anything. And it's such the raw, it is literally the worst thing is that we had people then come up and say, so what, you just wrote that whole thing off. You thought that nothing happened after that. Let me tell you what actually happened. And then filled us in on what had actually happened with, so there are certain key people that have been in that service and what had actually happened. And it was like, oh, yeah. so you mean that that whole thing actually can lay seeds and it doesn't have to be this immediate, again, this almost fast food mentality of it has to be an immediate answer response. I'm telling you, God doesn't, he doesn't necessarily always work that way. Sometimes it's, there's more beauty in something developing and cooking for a little bit and then like you said Daniel, 
10 years later, boom, there's a testimony involved in all that. I think that that's, if there's anything we like to try to hope to embody is to provide that atmosphere where the father is wooing his people back to him. Mm-hmm. If there's an opportunity, if, if that means we have to throw up a set list to bring up that one song that we maybe never practiced before, or that one mm-hmm. song that's just like, this is it, this has to be it. And we just all follow each other. It's worth it because it's, mm-hmm. we know that the father's asking it for a reason and we just follow in with that. And so to be, be very careful on accusing whether, like you said, Daniel, that that's something like, well, they just felt emotion. And that's all it was like, it matters a lot, especially when you go and you're inundated. Like I said, in the beginning of this, of this show that you're inundated with it day in and day out, but it's one thing to actually have an encounter and experience. And that song is linked mm-hmm. to that. I still, I think it, I first can raise the hand. Like there was a song that was playing that kind of was, there's something best that whenever I hear it again, it always yeah. takes me back. It mm-hmm. always takes mm-hmm. me back. And and I don't think anyone could necessarily argue that, or I would I would hope that people wouldn't try to argue that music doesn't evoke emotion, because if the if the argument is you're just manipulating their emotion, then the other side of that is well, how are you allowing your emotions to be manipulated by the music you listen to? Because mm-hmm. it does, no matter what you listen to. And um, I remember a very specific season of my life that was difficult and uh, dark. And I remember I was subjected to a particular song multiple times through the period of a couple of weeks. And the lyrics of the chorus were, this is not my life. This is not my home. This is not me. I hate this. It was, it was a heavy metal song. Don't ask why I was subjected to it. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but I that was right after the tornado hit our house. And so we were living in trailers. And so we're living in this temporary situation. And those are the lyrics going through my head over and over and over again. And it really put me in the dark place after that, especially after Mm -hmm. that whole situation. And so regardless of what the song is, it is manipulating again, Ryan, like you're saying, not, not a great Mm -hmm. word, but the one we're using Um, your emotions, it's making you feel things. And so the question is, if music evokes emotion, period, end of question, then why would you point to worship as a bad thing for, quote unquote, manipulating emotion when it always does that? And I think that's what you're trying to hit on a little earlier, Ryan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, to, to go back to that analogy, you might could say it takes the same amount of gold to make a golden calf as it does the menorah. Oh, it hmm. depends on mm-hmm. what it's yeah. being. What Steal it, that what it's being used for (laughs) what the end result is yeah Mm -hmm. um it's funny too uh, just to throw this out there i've also heard this argument of of um tuning some people will tune to a different frequency they'll call it Mm -hmm. uh usually it's about a half step down uh and claim that it's a healing frequency Mm -hmm. Uh, i have a news flash theory still works you're not on instead of being in c you're just in b or instead of b you're in b flat or on and on and on. Okay. So I don't have to tune down. I just put a capo on and I'm still, you know what I mean? It, that's to me the most ridiculous argument. Okay. Um, yeah, just to, anyway, I'll, well, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. <laughs> here, here, here's a, here's one to go to. This is another one of these little turns here. Um, why is it that 
only God is blamed for that. You know, why is it that is only part of our spiritual life that people are, oh, oh no, they're, they're manipulating me. You know, uh, I, I'm not a real sports person, but you could say, oh, they, the reason they put this scoreboard up is just to manipulate my emotions. Uh, yeah, the reason for that commercial, <laughs> they put that cat, that, that little kitten in there to, to just to manipulate my emotions. I'm never going <laughs> to watch television again in my life. You know, I mean, where else, uh, where else? You stand up to 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 receive a, a, an investment offering at a con well. They're just trying to get my money. You know, uh, nobody mm -hmm. walks into Walmart. I went to Walmart today, and I I didn't just you know walk in and and look at the guy that's you know watching me do his work at the self serve and go. You're just here to get my money. It, it, it's just like God is given a different standard mm -hmm. for everything of life. And it's, it's normally not, it normally doesn't work to his favor. Yeah. And I would say that's even evidence that he is real. Yeah. And, and worthy of pursuit because every aspect of life, that's the most pointed at of all the problems. So if everybody's pointing at it, you should probably be like, oh, they're, everyone's pointing at that. Maybe I should go check it out. Yeah. Everything's God's fault. Except for, you know, it's like, you ever, you ever had an insurance contract? And it said, uh, except for acts of God. Yes. I've never seen one that said, except for acts of Satan. <laughs> That's interesting point. Uh, very interesting. How interesting, yeah. So, do you think that maybe a little bit of this is coming from maybe people getting, maybe there's a bad experience. And again, I think we've, we've talked about people having bad experiences before and then judging everything based off of that experience. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, I had a bad meal one time. I didn't quit going to restaurants. Exactly. I think that's, I think what we're also trying to evoke here is that the social media online is just constantly inundated with, Oh, they're just trying to manipulate it. They're trying to manipulate me. If I post this, it won't, they won't be able to do this. And it's just, everywhere and sometimes you just got to take a step back go wait a minute hold on there's no harm in asking the question what's the purpose of this and i i would like to offer anyone else anyone who thinks this way thank you for still listening if you've thought some of these things that we've we're talking about maybe take a step back and just listen to where people are going and what's what is the goal we talked many times about what the goal of worship should be. We made scripture references and how what scripture talks about how worship is. And it's, it's a, obedience is the highest form. A lot of people don't like to think that way, but obedience is the biggest form. And God wants you to be in that place where you're just obedient and just listening to where he's taking you because it's not about you just listening to great music. Hopefully you are listening to great music. Sometimes it's not even that great of music, but there's something behind it. There's a genuineness in it. And that's why I think I would offer to people when they've mm -hmm. heard stuff that's not that great sounding. It's like, oh, that doesn't sound that good. Oh, that doesn't, it doesn't feel like, I think they missed the, they missed the key. I think they're not on key. What are you doing? Yeah, why are you, why are you harping on them? And as the audience, why are you harping on them? Oh, they missed the note. Oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. Where's your focus when all that is happening? It's the point where you have to question yourself and how you're behaving because 
you might be coming into something. And I've, I'm, I'm speaking from experience for myself. I, I have to turn that off, that part of my brain of, again, I've talked about running sound. Sometimes I have uh, theories on how I think that things, things could sound better if I was back on the board, but it's not for me. It's not, I wasn't in charge of that. Why am I doing that? Why am I talking? Why am I thinking about things that I have no control over? Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm coming in with a spirit that is against what the father's doing. Ooh. And I had to go, whoa, mm-hmm. I need to check myself first. And you know what? Seems like after that, you kind of go through uh, what would you call repenting and uh, searching out, maybe working it out. You just happen to find yourself in an amazing place around a lot of amazing people that you can trust. Like we talked about last episode, there's that trust that happens there. And you start seeing where God was wanting to take that room to be in. And I, I get it. You want to have a critical spirit coming into something because we're critical about everything now. Sometimes we need to learn to turn that off. Just turn that mm-hmm. switch off. Like It's a very powerful thing just yeah. to turn that off and not be so harsh. Yeah. I think um let's talk for a minute about about the other side of the pendulum. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the person who the stoic who is sitting in the midst of a bunch of people um maybe they're accusing people of being too emotional, maybe they're not, but maybe they're just saying to themselves, you know, I don't I don't need I don't need emotion right now. I can I can be here and my presence here is is enough and I'm listening and I understand that this is worship time but there's just there's a wall a very very thick wall that is saying I'm not going to enter into emotion for one reason or another whether it's by conscious choice whether it's by just a uh, hurts like you were bringing up David um but the example I would think of for that instance is Imagine a, a bride and groom standing at the altar and you're kind of going through the vows and maybe at some point in there, it comes up, uh, you know, do you, before all these people confess your undying love for your, your future spouse and the person is standing there like on paper, yes. And just like, just imagine like stone-faced, yes, just no smile, no emotion whatsoever. It's just, it's a matter of fact, sure, why not? You know, I, if you, if you look at all the facts, yes, I love this person. It's just like, I don't know. It's not exactly the, 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 the romantic movie where the guy sweeps the girl off his feet and they ride off together into the sunset. It's more like they just take a walk down a very dull alley and, just kind of, sorry, I'm going off, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Like there has to be emotion in love and commitment and covenant, at least in the way we understand it today. I know it was a little different back then with, you know, the father's arranging marriages, that kind of thing. Let's, let's just stick it in today's context and not get too crazy with it, yeah. but it's not, yeah, <laughs> you really hope that when two people come together, they actually love each other and love, obviously, and emotion are this, you know, they are one and the same as well. And so I guess that's where I would go to is that do you have to show the emotion and do you have to, you know, have the tears as the evidence of the emotion? Absolutely not. 
That's not what we're saying at all. We're not saying if you don't cry, you're not experiencing God. That is the farthest thing from what we're saying. What we are saying is that emotion should go hand in hand with worship because we love him and because we are in covenant with him and we want to um, you know, be intimate with him. Love is a part of that. Emotion is a part of that. And so I would, I guess I would just encourage everyone to be aware of yourself and how you are perceiving your emotions and how you are feeling about, about your emotions. I mean, I know that sounds, I know it's really hard for a lot of guys out there. What I'm saying is going to be really hard for a lot of guys because somehow society has also taught you that if you show any emotion, you're weak. And that is a lie from the enemy. <clears throat> so yeah, it's a, uh, just get in touch with your emotions. Get in touch with your inner, <laughs> with your inner person. Come on, Ryan. <laughs> Um, I was going to say too, that it's funny how, um, I've heard it also put with music that in order for music to be good, it must be written by a Christian artist or a Jewish artist. Hmm. (laughs) And, um, I don't believe that's the case. I really don't. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, there's a song that I love. It's written by a completely secular artist. But the lyrics of it go, um, When the sins of my fathers weigh down my soul, and the pain of my mother will not let me go, hmm. I know there can come fire from the sky that can refine the purest of kings. So even though this fire brings me pain, even though and just the same, make it rain, Mm. which is quite good, Uh especially when you compare it to um, Christian songs like, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. (laughs) And I'm not, the concept is great, you know, and that those songs have their place. But uh, I I found myself sitting here kind of smirking because I'm fixing this line from a Disney movie. Y'all can put down your stones. Uh, <laughs> okay, that'll be the end of our program. For yeah. <laughs> he said the wrong word. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. It's from the movie Ratatouille. And it's uh, it, kind of the whole idea of anyone can cook, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Anyone yeah. can yeah, worship. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. And I recall, and I actually pulled it up here because um, it was the letter uh, that the critic had written at the end of the movie. I'm going to change a couple words here to fit our narrative. He says, in many ways, the work of a critic is easy, which most people are, by the way. Speaking of that stoic in the audience, most of the time they're critical of what's going on around mm-hmm. them, one might say, or what's going on within themselves. Mm-hmm. As we risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so, which is quite good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and the defense of the new, which I'm gonna back up here and also say that many times we have written a song that is very impactful to one person yeah. and to another when upon hearing it, they'll come up and say, 
that song was nice, but can you play something we all know? <laughs> and I would remind them that at one point, Amazing Grace was also a new song that nobody yeah. knew. He yeah. goes on to say, uh, last night I experienced something new, an extraordinary, I'm going to change the word, worship service from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the worship and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about final is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain to the motto, anyone can worship, but I realize only now do I truly understand what it means. Not everyone can become a good musician or worshiper, but a good musician or worshiper can come from anywhere. It is difficult, I'll leave the rest, but anyway, you get the idea. Maybe they were onto something on more than just food or, you know? Yeah. You know, he says now, sing to him a new song, doesn't he? Dang mm -hmm. He does. If you've ever wondered, <laughs> man, Ryan, you've got a way with very particular things. Like, uh, what was it? Something about, you know, preaching using the, the making of a bullet and mm -hmm. now, uh, you know, bringing in the letter of a, of a Disney critic. Oh, man. It's just, <laughs> well, well, sir, well done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I, one of my favorite worship songs. That's really good. Yeah. One of my favorite worship songs is by Styx. Show mm. me the way. <laughs> yep. You know, I mean, that song just drives me. Every time I listen to it, it's like, oh, wow. Because, I mean, it's just, it's so filled with the reality of of what my life is a lot of times. And, uh, you know, we can find worship in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. We need to be very careful of mm -hmm. those places, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but you know, maybe that's a different subject too. So, yeah. uh, we're running out of time and I want to just, uh, you know, let's run around the board here real quick, but, uh, put out a, a thought to you for, for next week. Um, uh, this is kind of, th this program's been more nuts and bolts, I think. Maybe, mm -hmm. uh, let's go yeah. more nuts and bolts next week. What is the scripture? We're gonna let's talk about uh, unless you guys have something else. Um, always open to that. Um, what does the scripture say about the nuts and bolts of worship? Mm. Um, you know, is shouldn't we be trying to go by His pattern? And if we're bucking His pattern, are we not bucking Him? Closing mm. thoughts. Mm -hmm. mm. One of y'all go ahead. I got to think about this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have said Ryan. I know, right? I, should have... <laughs> I, I think I'll break to... jump in here. I think I wanted to close off with a point because I think that's a great idea because I think that a lot of times we like to assume, like, right, even, even the concept, not even trying to knock on it, but like, what's the definition of a worship song, right? Like, because other people have vast different what, what they would categorize as a worship song. That's, that could be for another time, but that, that's, that's like those kind of questions. And I think that on a separate note, I wanted to bring up something I think has uh, really changed how I, my outlook is on stuff. Like you said, Daniel, you had mentioned it, and I really wanted to bring that up. I've had many parents come up to me and talk to me about how, oh, my kid's listening to all this music and listening to them. It could be metal or whatnot. And 
all this stuff. And I would look at them and go, yeah, so did I. Those prayers do mm -hmm. work. It's not going to be instant, but they're going through some stuff and they're trying to figure it out. And I, I wanted to just offer a message of grace. And I wanted to say, I, I get it. You're worried about your kids. I get it. You're worried about what they're going through. Prayer does make a difference. It does matter. But I want to say is don't look at them. I would say is I want to offer perspective change. Don't look at the music as the problem. Find out what's bothering them. Get to the bottom of what that is. What's really bothering them. What's really bugging them. What's driving it. What's driving it. Because in reality, the music is just a sign. It's just a sign that something else is not right. Yep. And they're trying to That's get true. it out and trying to, they're just, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And a lot of times they might not even feel like they can even talk about it. There's your first, that's your first step right there. Why are they not talking about it? I'll just add and, into that uh, okay. another, as some of you guys have heard me say that uh, when we're together and we're doing meetings, I personally try to, to talk with the young people, with the youth, not at them. Mm -hmm. Daniel Ryan. Daniel, respect. Yeah, um, Dave. Excellent, excellent points there. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very important because I definitely went through that same thing. Um, had a very distinct phase of life where I was listening to emo music, and mm -hmm. um, I, I was never into the metal, but like seriously, emo music, kind of like the hard rock type stuff um, as well, along with that. But all of it was like you're saying. Um, just just to kind of give another testament to, to what you're saying, all of it was trying to find expression to things that I didn't understand yet of things I was feeling uh, in times. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the music I should have been listening to, because uh, you know, there's two things you can do regarding music when you're feeling something. You can either listen to something that will affirm your feelings or bring you to a different feeling. Mm -hmm. And what what most people are doing in those moments is they are trying to listen to something that will affirm and keep them in that state and like help let them um just kind of bask and uh kind of marinate in those feelings when in reality they should they should be listening to something that will help get them out of that but they don't know that at that point they don't even they just know i'm feeling something and it has to come out somehow and this kind of helps me so just to give credence to what you're saying Mm -hmm. um, I guess my other thought would be just kind of touching on what I said earlier, um, that it's very important, I think, to communicate with God, with yourself, with your spouse, with your parents, whoever it is. Um, it, I, I think we can sometimes make the assumption, I know I have, that just because you do the things and you quote unquote know how to do them, that that's enough. But it's not necessarily enough to just open your Bible. It would be better if you took a few minutes before you did and just prayed and kind of just were aware of, of what you're feeling, what's going on, because that it's just going to make every time that you have more effective. Um, just like you would communicate mm -hmm. with your spouse, like, you know, I, I, I appreciate that you did the dishes, but you kind of had a scowl on your face the whole time. You know, there's, it's not just doing the thing. It's doing the thing with the right heart. So personal with the dishes, that'd be my encouragement. Yeah. That ties <laughs> in with, I've done it too. That ties right in with actually what I was going to say. 
um, and it's a quote by a very famous musician and songwriter. And it's interesting, you know, somebody to uh, that makes their living their whole life writing music to say this. He said, the world does not need any more songs. There's enough songs for every man, woman, and child to last us until the end of time without one more being written. Unless that songwriter has clean hands and a pure heart and something to say. Mm. Remember that quote? Mm-hmm. Well. I think that's a pretty good place to wrap this up. So let's yeah. come back next week to so. the, the form of things, because the truth is that uh, we're going back to one of our first programs we ever did. Uh, why are we created to worship mm-hmm. him? And so in that worship, we find out that uh, in that relationship, yes, he does have plans for us for good and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. So live your life on purpose. Till next week, guys. See you then. Sounds good.